It's Milwaukee's Tailgate, the midweek mini pod, number five. The Major League Baseball draft is is taking place this week, uh, Monday through Wednesday, and the Brewers are picking 28th overall, which means we have a lot less information about what the Brew crew are going to be doing in the first round, not so many names being attached. And instead, I grabbed uh, one of the best prospect writers on the baseball blogosphere, Jeffrey Paternostro from baseball prospectus and asked if he would preview kind of the MLB draft as a whole, giving our listeners uh, the necessary information they need to enjoy the draft on, on Monday night and, and into Tuesday and Wednesday, if they so choose. And before we get to the interview though, always remember that you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's tailgate on Apple podcasts and Spotify. We do want listener questions. So make sure you're following Milwaukee's tailgate on Twitter at MKE tailgate, and you can email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com can also follow our Facebook page if you are Facebook inclined and follow the three of us on Twitter. Um, and you can find that in our Milwaukee's tailgate Twitter bio, which Steve finally updated. So all of that is good to go. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Our MMB and ball and glove patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast, which we will have coming out after the, after the draft this week. So if you are catching the draft bug after this, consider, uh, consider kind of bumping up to the Patreon and, and you can get all the back catalog as well. Milwaukee's tailgate is also sponsored by carbon four brewing their English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for their great beers like dragon flute block party and their flagship fantasy factory IPA, but stop down to the carbon four tap room on Kinsman Boulevard in Madison because they've got idiot farm and America AF on tap. Be sure to tell them Milwaukee's tailgate sent you because as friends of the podcast, you get 20% off merch in the carbon store web, uh, the carbon four web store with the promo code MKE tailgate. Jeff, you can get that too. If you want some stuff from Madison, so you can use the the promo code MKE tailgate as always check out carbon com for more information, carbon four beer brilliance. All right. Without any further ado, I am joined by one of my favorite, and I know I'm a little biased, but one of the best prospect writers on the interwebs, Jeffrey Paternostro from Baseball Perspectives. Jeff, thanks for thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So um, before we get into this, can you just give uh, our listeners a little bit of background in terms of of kind of what you do for Baseball Perspectives, how you got into it? Uh, you know, I guess you're, you're a kind of audio CV. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm the lead prospect writer at Baseball Perspectives which functionally means I'm the list maker in chief. So I'm responsible for the 30 team lists, the national 101, the midseason 50, which I've already started, unfortunately, working on a draft of um, and various org rankings and stuff like that. I also write a weekly column during the season covering a variety of prospect evaluation and general player development topics as well. Yeah, so I heard that we're actually going to get to one of those kind of topics that you're going to be touching on this week. So give people a little flavor of it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's kind of start right off the top. So many people have been, if they have been looking at mock drafts or if they've been thinking about the draft since, since the last one, is it, you know, always happens that we hear about those things really far ahead of time. We've heard a lot about Adley Rushman, who's a, a catcher from Oregon state, and he's currently projected to go first overall to the Orioles. Um, everyone, as far as, as far as I can tell, kind of has been treating him over the past year as this can't miss type of guy. Uh, how good is he? Do you, I mean, do you think he is going to go number one? Uh, yeah, I think he'll absolutely go number one. Um, they're, they've started to leak probably directly from the Orioles that they're talking to other people, which is a, is a common strategy to maybe get his bonus number a little bit lower. I don't think it's actually going to work because he's one of the few uh, sort of slam dunk one ones in recent years. 
Um, I've noted this, uh, and another one of our senior prospect writers, Jared Seidler, has as well. I think he did it uh, in a blurb for this year's 101, that we haven't actually ranked the first overall pick as the highest ranked prospect in the in the following year's national list since Garrett Cole. Uh, and Garrett Cole, uncoincidentally, was the last year of soft slotting. Mm-hmm. And since they've gone to hard slotting and more bonus pool manipulations, um, you know, you'll see guys, you'll see teams look to take guys you know, a million or 200 slot that maybe aren't really the best overall talent in the draft just to save some money for their, for their second and third picks or to try to push somebody, you know, a top prep that's going to be a difficult sign down to your second round pick. So there's a lot more sort of like game theory and, and strategy involved in it now. But by the same token, there really hasn't been a clear gap between the the best draft prospect in the country and the second or third best draft prospect in the country i mean you'll see bobby witt jr as number two most places you know personally for me i take andrew vaughn but um you know that's my personal preference you could go either way but rushman's just a cut above as far as can't miss goes um so there's really no such thing as a can't miss draft prospect there's especially no such thing as a can't miss catching prospect um the track record for high catcher picks overall is not great. It's better for college than it is for prep. I mean, prep catchers are basically um, historically a disaster pick if you pick them in the first round. I think you have to go back to like Brian McCann to find one that really worked out. Uh, but, you know, he has all the tools. He is a sure shot plus defensive catcher. He has, you know, plus hit and power tools. When you get that in a backstop, given the the low offensive bar there, it's, you know, it's a potential all-star. It's a potential impact talent. I expect we will have him number one of the draft prospects come our next national list. And, you know, he's a conceivably a top 10 prospect in baseball as soon as he signs. So I guess last year, the kind of the, the biggest catcher that was coming out was, was Joey Bart, correct? Mm. And so if you're thinking about, you know, people who watched last year, thinking about Joey Bart, seeing what he's doing in the minors this year, things like that, is, is Rushman... Uh, comparable is he significant I know that like it's hard to I don't want to compare like apples and oranges but are they is he considered at the time of the MLB draft to be a better prospect overall yeah I'd say so Um, it's a better bat certainly a more projectable bat Um, Bart might have a little bit more raw power you know he's been hurt this year so we haven't seen uh, seen a ton of him as a pro yet so there's still some unknown unknowns there uh, you know, the the thing you always heard about Joey Bart coming out of college was he called his own games. And that was like a huge deal because uh, almost no college catchers call their own games. I've seen you know, they get called from the bench. And I think that's the case with Rushman for the most part, too. And that's, you know, an aspect of his game he'll have to work on, certainly as a pro. But, um, you know, he, every other tool is there in his bag. You know, the, the receiving, the arm, um, you know, he gets good marks for working with his pitchers there. It's just, you know, game calling is a skill like anything else, and there'll be adjustments that'll have to be made in the pros. And that's that's really true for, you know, the entire skill set. He's not a guy that's you can just sort of drop in the majors. I don't think he's going to be quick to the majors, um, especially because of the uh, fact that he's a catcher. You just don't see those guys move particularly quickly, even the even the high-end college prospects, because there's just so much learning. And um, you know, it's something that John Sickles of The Athletic called young catcher stagnation syndrome. You can often see them struggle a little bit to hit uh, in the minors because they're working on so many other things, sort of the 
defensive game and the working with the staff and the game calling and stuff like that, that there's so much focus has to go there that, you know, the bat can maybe take a little bit longer to come around. Yeah. And I think I, it, it's not certainly the same level, but that is something that I think Brewers fans are familiar with in terms of thinking about uh, Jonathan Lucroy when he was coming on through, everybody was talking about how good he was and his bat took a couple of steps back for a, a couple of years, as they said, he was working on his defense and he's working on his game calling and everything like that outside of the Orioles. And I think pretty much everyone that I've seen is talking that Bobby Witt's probably going to go number two. So, you know, there are a lot of things that, that can go. And I know that you don't get really involved in, in mocking the draft or anything of that, but are there, are there any other, or what teams now that we have to deal with all of this bonus slotting and just having a lot of money and being creative, who are the teams that could make some noise on on Monday night, who teams sh- or like who sh- people should really be kind of paying attention to? So the Arizona Diamondbacks have I think seven picks in the first seventy five, um, so they're going to be very busy on Monday, and yeah, they have a commensurate b- bonus pool there where they can they can do some interesting things. And if you look, you know, it's still a fairly new front office there, so um, they have. You sort of look at the shape of their farm system, and it's a rapidly improving farm system. They've tend to target it, target big tools up the middle. I mean, everyone loves big tools up the middle. It's not like it's a, it's a uh, special speciality of theirs. But they really will sort of they they want athletes. They want really sort of premium athletes. Um, <laughs> this is not the draft I necessarily want to have seven picks in the top seventy five because it's a very, it's a below average draft class and it's especially very top heavy, mm. uh, and they don't have so. It, um, you know, I do have a Mets podcast over at BP as well, and they pick 12th, and we sort of joke that it, they have the 12th pick in an, an 11-player draft. And it's a bit of an oversimplification, but it does drop off pretty quickly after the top 10. Uh, it's especially shallow in arms, but you can find, I think, a fair amount of prep bats, uh, you know, sort of past maybe the first round that might be signable with the sort of amount of money they have to play with on day one. So keeping an eye on that and seeing sort of uh, who they target uh, an interesting storyline for me, and this is uh, probably in part because I actually saw one of the few draft prospects I saw pitch this year, is I'm curious to see what happens with Jack Leiter, uh, Al Leiter's kid who pitches for Del Barton Prep in New Jersey. Um, it is, again, a, it's a draft that's very short on arms and especially short on prep arms. And he's quoted, he's floating a fairly big number right now, and there's rumors they'll only sign with a Northeast team. I'm wondering if some team takes a, pop on him you know someone like the diamondbacks could do it the braves have two first round picks the yankees have enough money they could underslot their first pick and try to pop him with the comp pick they got for Sonny gray he's just a very interesting he's sort of an interesting test case for me because he's a very unusual prep prospect he's older he's already 19 uh you know ranges early he's done a lot of research on sort of prep picks and where age really does seem to matter like sort of the younger they are they tend to project better going forward but he's also like very polished. Like it's a professional delivery, good command profile, like good stuff. He's also going to be a draft eligible sophomore and going to Vanderbilt. So he's the kind of guy that could say, I'm going to go to school for two years and be the you know, presumptive top five pick when I come out and get my money that way. And, and you know, obviously he's Al Leiter's kid and he goes to Del Barton prep. So he's not going to be, you know, swayed by a slot uh, bonus past, you know, 15 or 20 or so. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see if he actually gets drafted. You know, I, I'm always sort of like, if you want to look at like storylines, there's always like one guy that drops because of signability and he might be that guy this year. Cause I'm pure talent. He should probably go, you know, top 20, if not top 15. 
So I'll, I'll be watching that. I'll be watching what the Diamondbacks do. And I'm kind of curious um, sort of in what order the big college arms go to. Because, um, again, it's a very soft draft class there. And I'm wondering if, you know, somebody tries to underslot a prep bat early or something like that. And just to see if a, you know, if a Jackson Rutledge, who's a, you know, big Juco arm or uh, George Kirby or someone like that falls a little bit further. Yeah. Well, that's, that's all really helpful. And I think one of the other things too, cause I was just, you know, hearing you talk about Al Leiter's kid and just thinking about all the different paths now that, that, that guys have, right? Like whether it's, it's going to school, what kind of leverage you've got, but we've, we did just see the, the Braves, uh, the Braves first round pick last year who didn't sign, he signed to go to Japan and signed for, by all accounts, it sounds like he got a, a a pretty good amount of money. I think it was like six, seven million, something yeah, like seven, that. Six years, seven million. Yeah. But it was um, also laden with a lot of incentives that he can actually make quite a bit more, mm-hmm. depending on what ends up going on. Do you think that that's going to change the game at all, or do you think that that was a really unique scenario? Because it doesn't sound to me. I, I know that there are some young kids that are like, you know what, like going to Japan for a while. That might be an adventure. They can they can go play pro ball right away. They can do a lot of different things. But on the other hand, it does seem like they've MLB has made it made that a difficult path for a reason. And is it going to be something that you think other people are going to use as leverage in the draft this year? So it's, I fully expect major league baseball to slam this loophole shut as quickly as possible rather than, you know, doing some self-reflection on why they're losing talent. And it's not just, uh, you know, Carter Stewart, who's in somewhat of a unique situation. It's sort of like the two sport guys can't really, you don't have drafts and follows anymore. You don't really have two sport deals anymore. Can't offer major league contracts anymore. So there's not really, you know, we saw that with Kyler Murray. Um, There's really no way to get these sort of premium, you know, projectable athletes into baseball versus other sports. So Stewart's an extreme example of that. He's also kind of a perfect storm because of the, the new posting rules. It will work out perfectly where he will spend six years in uh Nippon professional baseball he'll be 25 so he'll be a, a true international free agent like it's not like you can just you know take a top college bat and do the same thing um you know i assume they've guaranteed him he'll play at least one game in each of the six seasons to sort of fulfill that requirement uh it has to be the right kind of personality too because like you said you're taking a, a teenager and sending him for six years to a country where he doesn't speak the language it's a uh, very different culture in general and certainly a very different baseball culture than what he's probably used to um, in another way, it's classic Scott Boris because he's been trying to break the draft basically as long as he's been representing representing draft eligible players. Um, I'm curious to see how it plays out. I suspect sort of the simple thing is, you know, if he's good, someone's going to sign him. It's not going to be like he's going to get frozen out in six years. Um, but I expect Major League Baseball will, will find a way to sort of, you know, close this loophole so they don't start uh, losing more talent in these kind of circumstances. Well, I think to me, it also feels a little bit like I believe it was like it was Tanner Shepard's, right, who decided to go play for the St. Paul Saints or something like that. Uh, He did did it with J.D. Drew, too, for a year. Okay, so a few different uh, Aaron Crow, I think, is the one. But like those recently, those didn't like we don't hear about that happening all that often. It's it's a really rare thing. It's almost always Scott Boris. Yeah, absolutely. But uh you know, I guess he hates the draft, and I have my my quibbles with it, especially since we've moved to this hard slotting system. But yeah, it's I don't think it's the best way to 
sort of allocate talent. I don't think it's the best way to develop talent either. Um, I don't have a better solution. Uh, it is what it is. Well, and... so what do you do to change it then? Because I know like for myself in terms of thinking like spectacle, because the NFL draft is so big. Like my dad loves the NFL draft, my da- mm. NFL draft favorite, favorite day. And probably because he's a Browns fan. So he's got like, he's got <laughs> like that issue, but, but my dad loves the NFL draft. And I grew up watching it every single April with him. And it is always weird to think that like major league baseball draft happens while there are games going on. And, and there are like, three or four people that show up and it's not as big of a deal. And and so I do wonder if like they could try to make it more of a spectacle, whether or not it's kind of a niche market because you're not going to see those players for a couple of years at minimum. Um, is it just all because, and, and like you said, I've got a lot of quibbles with the, with the, the slotting system and different things like that. But what do you change about the draft to make it more either a successful as a product or be more successful to frankly not, I don't want to say to not screw young players out of money, but like, that's also exactly what I mean. So, (laughs) so like, what do you do? So there's, there's two different things to sort of address here. One, it's a terrible TV product and that's for a variety of reasons. The guys don't show up. Nobody knows who these players actually are because college baseball is not as big as college football. And a lot of these guys are uh, high school kids too. So you get like the grainy backfields video that they they find and then they compare them, you know, the I would say which, which like will compare them to perennial all stars or hall of famers. Right, and then you won't right. see them for yeah. four or five years. I was going to say like the grainy video, like I always kind of yeah. dig. Right. But that like that, that's a really small market that's going to like those grainy yeah. videos. I mean, it's just it's very difficult to like uh, I'll use Kyler Murray again as an example. Like everyone watched Kyler Murray play football this year. You know, you have an idea of what Kyler Murray is, and you're going to see Kyler Murray probably on day one for the Cardinals. You're not going to see Adley. Adley Rushman is going to go to uh, probably Delmarva or something this year, and then maybe like he gets to Bowie next year. And so he's just not he's not an accessible he's not an accessible name because people haven't been watching Oregon State baseball on ESPN Plus all year because it's just not a <laughs> a strong television draw. And it's just, it's, it's never going to be, and they've done a better job with it. And yes, they should just have Monday be a day off for every team and do it that way. Cause they're still, you still have to run Penn league. You can't push it to the off season cause you still need to run the Penn leagues and you're, you know, you're low minors and you have to fill out those rosters and the draft is as much, you know, especially on day three, as much as a function of that as it is getting premium prospect talent into your system. Yeah. It's the old scouting cliche that, you know, you need 25 guys to play 140 games and they're not all going to be prospects. Yeah. It's just, you know, your inventory of orc dudes. Um, as far as the the bonus situation, you know, we've seen it at this point where it's already trickling down into free agency, um, where guys aren't getting the free agent dollars they were getting even three, four years ago uh, as a class. And, you know, you have this system where unless you're, a, even if you're a top draft pick, um, and you're getting five, six million after the federal government and your advisor slash agent takes his cut. You know, maybe it's three million. This is, this is the top, top prospects. And if you're a prep guy, that might have to last you four or five years. It's not an insignificant amount of money. Um, and then you have six years. So you essentially it buys the team 13 years of control functionally. It's technically more than that. It never actually is that much, but it's up to that many years between uh how many years before minor league free agency and then option years on the 40 and then uh you know service time in arb and whatnot 
So it's just not the best way to distribute revenue, but it was fine. I think the union was especially fine with it too. When the, you know, the union is basically run by well-moneyed veterans when they were still getting their, you know, the three-year $40 million deal when they were 34, 35 from that last contract. And if they were signing a pre-arb extension, like Andrew McCutcheon is a good example of this, of sort of the shape of what the, you know, those careers used to look like, even for the guys that didn't hit that big, you know, free agent payday at 27 or 28. And you have to sort of start to look at the, you know, the system more holistically and figure out, you know, how much of the revenue, what, you know, what share of the revenue do the players want and what's the best way to distribute that. But at the end of the day, and we're going into another, what I expect to be very contentious CBA cycle, um, everybody that gets picked on Monday until the, you know, even after the day they get picked really are non-union members. So they're always going to be the, you know, again, they're, if they want an extra day off around the all-star break or better travel schedules or whatever other sort of, um, you know, accoutrements they want for, you know, the life of the veteran baseball player, it's an easy giveaway because it doesn't cost their membership anything. And it's actually saves owners a lot more money than, you know, paying for an extra charter flight. Yeah, for sure. Um, so two more questions here and then we'll, we'll get you on your way here because I appreciate you coming on the podcast late on a Saturday, but, uh, it would have been earlier on a Saturday, but I'm going to, I'm going to give Liverpool a shout out because they won the champions league. So I was, I was out. Um, but anyway, so, and I say that because Steve won't let me say that on the regular podcast, so I'm going to give Liverpool a shout out on the mini pod because I can do what I want here. And so, everybody who, every most people who listen to this are certainly going to be paying attention to the draft. They're much more diehard Brewers fans than the vast majority of of people. Um, how should fans? So they they see all of these names largely for the first time, don't know anything about them, and then they see them go to. You know, now it's going to be Colorado Springs. It's not going to be Helen anymore. It's going to be Colorado Springs. They're going to go down to the, the AZL. Um, and some of them are probably going to go up to Appleton. Um, they're going to be with the Timber Rattlers. And it's the first time that they get any data on them. It's the first time that they see these players. They start to see all the, the stats kind of accumulate through July and August. Do they mean anything? Like, Because you're doing all the, the prospect list, right? And you're going to be looking mm-hmm. at them in... And probably, well, you're kind of most likely you'll you'll get started really early. But once kind of November rolls around, you start getting out the list in in in, in earnest. Do you really pay attention to what they're doing in July or August, or are their pre-draft scouting profiles kind of what you're looking at there? And it's just it doesn't matter all that much because it's like two months. So I need a really good reason to go off of that kind of stuff. Um, now I might not necessarily agree with, you know, whatever the exact order of the, the BA 500 or, you know, the way the, the draft plays out in the first round, like, uh, you know, we ranked Nolan Gorman as one of the top prospects in that draft class. And he went in the twenties, I think to the Cardinals. Um, so, and it was a very good reason because he looked really, really good in, uh, the Abbey league. I mean, for the most part, it keep in mind, I'll use Adley Rushman as an example again. Their season started on February 15th. Uh, you will have played essentially half of a minor league season already, 70 games or so. Um, you know, they actually got knocked out of the College World Series, so he'll be able to sign quickly and and theoretically start uh, opening day of short season or they get sent to Delmarva um, and play another 50, 60, 70 games there too. 
and it's a very long season. You know, it starts in February, it ends around Labor Day. These guys never played that long before. Um, you know, he's a catcher specifically, which is a, comes with its own uh, set of issues. But so again, I, I need to see. There has to be like a really strong reason one way or the other. And like, there's always a dude that pops post-draft, like without fail. Um, you know, somebody shows up throwing three miles an hour harder or the raw power plays better with wood than you'd expect, you know, and you, you see that or you get a report on that. And it's like, okay, we have to adjust some things. But if a guy just looks a little sluggish or, you know, he doesn't, you know, like if Adley Rushman goes to the Penn League and hits like 270, an empty 270, I'm really not going to move the needle off that without you know an intervening really bad report on him um so i think you have to that's something i'm writing about this week sort of as you as you teed up just because i've seen it happen so many times where it's like you know it doesn't this doesn't look right like it just it doesn't like really pop and you kind of have to give them a pass and go back to sort of like well um this is actually an old al scorupaism there's an old bp prospect writer he's now an amateur scout for the a's where he would always say, somebody a lot smarter than you gave this guy a lot of money. It's your job to figure out. You know, part of your job is to figure out why that might be. Um, you know, so I think you always have to keep that in mind. Um, you know, there's a strong, like, like, I'm not afraid to, you know, dump Mickey Moniak quickly if I have to, if, and if the reports justify it. But, you know, you should always sort of have that in the back of your mind when you're watching these guys, that these were, these were top draft prospects for a reason. Yeah. No, I think that's really helpful. And and the last thing that I wanted to touch on, because I think one of the most interesting things that we've been hearing about, and, and Houston's the name that always comes up with it, but it's it's all this stuff about, um, and the Brewers are actually kind of on the forefront of some of this as well, but it's like all this stuff about exit velocity, all this stuff about using TrackMan to, to do spin rates, uh, targeting targeting tools, I guess, right? Like targeting specific pitches, uh tools in terms of exit velocity in terms of trying to measure contact and 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 power and like what kind of impact are they making on the ball all that different kind of stuff does is this actually helpful and i and i say that knowing especially what you just said right like there's a reason teams are using this but when you're you're looking at all of these tools i also remember talking to um actually uh, like Kevin Goldstein in the actual Houston organization, he told me that like makeup is one of the toughest things and most important things that they actually look at. And it, it does seem to me that it's not just as simple as, and, and by no means am I saying that like Houston is making it this simple, but it's not as simple as just looking at individual tools. It's not looking at spin rate. It's not looking at ex exit velocity. There is an art to scouting. There's a reason why, you know, the vast like I can't just go out and sit somewhere next to you and, and like be able to scout somebody better. Like I just can't do it. I don't have the mental catalog. I don't have the comparable players. I don't have the knowledge of, of everything that you've accumulated through watching so many things and, and talking to so many people. Are they losing some of the art that's there? Or is it too simplistic to say that they're using these things to look at spin rate and not paying attention to anything else? I mean, I think the, the, the track man stuff certainly has its uses. I mean, if you're looking for it's everything's data. Scouting's data, everything's data. Um, you know, if you're you if you have this really, you know, this sort of projectable prep arm that's sitting in the low nineties, you find out he has a really high spin rate fastball, that's a reason to throw him, you know, four hundred and fifty thousand dollars in the twelfth round or something. That's fine. That's you know, that's actionable information. Um 
So, but make a, sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna just yeah. cut in one thing. What is what does it mean when you're saying that somebody has a high spin rate fastball? What what does that actually mean? So, I mean, it's uh, essentially it means late life, okay, late action. Um, you know, it's something that I think you can see to a certain extent. Like you have conversations with scouts about this, especially sort of old timers. You explain what they're what you're what you're talking about or what you know sort of the uh, the physics of it is they'll be able to see it. Like I saw Albert Abreu uh, a couple weeks ago and he's a guy with a high spin rate fastball. And you can see it. It's just the way it comes out of the hand, the way it explodes out of the hand. Like it's not always that cut and dry. Like, but again, by the same token, if you're getting down to like, you know, 2,900 RPM versus, you know, 2,800, does it really like, I don't know if we're actually finding, you know, huge differences here. Um, just looking at, at a, at a spin rate leaderboard. But, you know, it's, it's information, um, I think, sort of at the, like anything else, um, at the extremes, I think it's probably more useful than sort of in the middle percentiles. But, uh, I mean, it's clearly something that teams, even down like JUCO, you know, junior colleges have full track man setups now. Mm-hmm. You know, almost all your, your high school showcases or major, you know, prep showcases do. So it's 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 headed in that direction. I mean, you're still, especially on the amateur level, going to need boots on the ground for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, just to sort of unearth, you're not going to get data on, you know, however many guys are going to get picked over the next, you know, it's 1,200 players that are going to get picked over the next uh, three days next week. So you need the boots on the ground and you need to know especially as we sort of talked about with the bonus polls, you need to know what they'll sign for is what it really comes down to. You yeah. need to be able to, when you make that phone call to dial in your second or third round pick, you need to know you can sign the guy at the number that you've allocated for him. Cause it really does screw up the rest of your draft. If you don't, and you've seen it happen in the past and like, it's never going to be perfect. Uh, you know, you see guys that uh, don't get signed for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, both on the team side and sometimes on the player side as well. But you can sort of minimize the chance of that happening if you have, you know, the scout there, you know, talking to the coach, talking to the player, talking to the player's family. It really is kind of sort of the, you know, those kind of interpersonal relationships as opposed to, because you have, by the same token, you can have that 2,800 RPM or whatever spin rate high school kid, and you have to still have to know it's signed for the number. It's great to have that information, but before you're, you know, you're going to commit chunk of your draft pool to it you have to be, know that you know you will sign for that basically cool well uh so last thing and then we'll we'll get out of here it is i was going to ask you what like the number one thing you were looking for or like looking forward to in the draft is it outliders kid is that like the number one thing we're going for yeah i guess i'm just again it's like i don't really have a particular attachment to it but it's the guy i've seen and it's the guy i don't have a great i don't want to say i don't have a great feel for um, he's a prospect for me that's very difficult to contextualize. Mm. So I'm curious to see to see how that plays out, sort of in, in the larger draft setting. Cool. And what should uh, our listeners be looking for on baseball prospectus around the draft in the coming week? So we have a lot of content going up this week. Um, you know, my column I think will actually go up at the normal time on Wednesday because it's not uh, draft day specific. But we'll have uh, a special edition of what the scouts are saying that's focused on the draft. Uh, Jarrett Seidler is expounding on some ideas that he and I presented on uh, at Sabre Seminar last year, sort of about sort of like breaking draft pools and stuff like that. And sort of those are the more game theory aspects of it. Uh, Kenan Lamb 
who's our Florida guy, um, FSL and Southern League, but also sees a lot of uh, top amateur prospects with being a, a, a live chat in the draft uh, draft time. I will actually be bowling, so I will not even be watching it. <laughs> That's all right. As you said, it's not it's not a great TV spectacle, so I'm sure you'll be able to uh, to to catch up on it as quickly as possible. But I'll have to re uh, I'll have to refollow MLB Draft Tracker on Twitter. <laughs> as, I always yes. feel bad for the poor interns that have to update that on day three when it starts firing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is something that we see like just con- I see all the time like just flying through Twitter on on those yeah. days. Um, I'm actually going to be out doing some research for some of them. Uh, so I'm not going to be able to watch too closely, but I'll, I'll, I'll check in as much as I can. I just got to get through some material next week. So that's going to do it for us. Um, Jeff, thanks so much for, for joining us for the podcast. Appreciate it a lot. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter? So I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. Um, and of course you can follow baseball prospectus on Twitter at baseball pro. Perfect. So, as all of you know, you can join our Patreon again by visiting patreon.com slash mketailgate. Patreon, uh, patrons at the MNB and Ball and Glove levels receive the monthly minor league extra podcast where we're going to take a lot of the information that Jeff gave us here and we're going to kind of give it a Brewers-centric spin after the draft. Ryan and I will get together and we'll talk about some of that stuff. You can follow us on Twitter at mketailgate and you can submit questions via email milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. Uh, you can always do Facebook as well. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can leave reviews to help people find us, uh, find us and find the podcast more generally. So thanks for listening and look for the regular podcast coming out on Monday.